Hello and welcome back to the Lawless Podcast. We've had a bit of a technical difficulty. We just recorded a 40 minute podcast and uh, yeah, it kind of glitched out so we're going to re-record it now. So yeah, just going following on from our first episode with Lawrence, we're uh, yeah, going to talk a bit about your TikTok and how we've, uh, how we've done that. Yeah. Well, what do you want to know? So yeah, what, what kind of content are you... Ma- Shit. That was a balloon. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry about that, I just had to shoot Lawrence. He's dead now, lol. Nah, I just had some balloon in my room, it just went off. We left that in for you lovely headphone users as a little treat. But yeah, anyway, back to TikTok. Lawrence, what content do you produce on TikTok? World War Two content, actually. Yeah, memes and... And the like? Jokes about that, yeah. Nice one. So, um, yeah, what made you get into sort of World War Two? I don't know, I think because it was one of the first bits of history you learn that's different it's not like oh yeah. you know William the Conqueror Normandy yeah. yeah medieval stuff and it's like oh I don't know it's it's like this is a bit more modern this is like actually relevant like yeah it's yeah yeah a lot more interesting I'd say. Right, exactly and there's obviously been long profound effects of World War 2 yeah oh yeah definitely the most impactful series of events in modern in know. modern history absolutely yeah no, exactly and even the way things are described now as well it's like post-war yeah post-war politics and things like that and post-war policy or something like that yeah know? it's all described relative to the war because it's mm-hmm. how significant it was and how big of a turning point it was yeah but yeah that's kind of mad but yeah so if we kind of move into to politics a little bit like what would your ideal UK look like oh that's a very good question. I think one of the first things I would do is abolish the monarchy, actually. I know it's a oh, very, really? contra- wow. very controversial one, but that is what I would do. Yeah. Nice. So what would be, the, what would be your reasoning for abolishing the monarchy? Though? I think just because as, as a country, and I, I know about the tourism argument, and I know about the tradition argument, and sort of how it's part of British identity and British culture, but we can't say that we are a proud nation who cares for all of our citizens when we give taxpayer money to one family in particular Mm. just because they're the one family. And those children will grow up in absolute wealth and lavishry and have the best possible life ever, whereas there are children who will have a really miserable life just because of the family they're, of the born, family into. they're born into. Yeah, it's not it's not fair to say that you should be able to live in luxury just because of the family you're born into. And that goes back to the uh, the kind of political thought idea of the veil of ignorance, which basically talks about how a society should be structured in a way that you can be born into any family and not be at a huge advantage or disadvantage basically just saying that there's not mass inequality within a society whereas in modern Britain what family you're born into very much determines your outcome to a certain extent anyway because you heard the term meritocracy being thrown around but when you really peel back the layers it's very very hard to make the argument yeah especially with private schools that's another thing I'd change I would get rid of the charitable status of private schools oh they're a charity are they? if not oh yeah they pay less taxes but if not just get rid of them entirely 
Because if you think about it, it's it, it is just pay to win and they will get prioritized over state school students and how can you say that we have equality of opportunity, even in right wing thinking, that um you can make yourself whatever you want to be if you work hard. Well, if you get a better education because your parents paid for it compared to someone who can't afford that, that's just not fair, that's not equality of opportunity. And Finland actually has a really good system where they don't have any private schools and what tends to happen is the parents of rich children will invest in the state school that their children go to by donations whatever means necessary Um, and that will obviously improve the lives of children who are at state schools as well who are less fortunate and it's just a much fairer system in my opinion and that helps elevate everyone within the school, and that's for their socio-economic background, yeah. as opposed to just elevating people who are already elevated. Exactly. It doesn't create a sort of social bubble of class classes. It's really. a class social bubble where you yeah. have to interact with people from different classes because they're separated by school. Yeah, absolutely. Like a lot of the people you know are either from clubs you attend or the school you've gone to, or other sort of social circles you may mix in. But the majority of that being school and your education officer where you're educated and if everyone at your school is from a particular background then they're the people you're going to socialize with exactly not, not others who go to ulterior schools precisely yeah so i th- i think i would change that as well another sort of controversial sort of along the lines of schools i think i would probably get rid of exams as a form of okay. assessment nice i actually would i would uh, as much as coursework is very heavy um, it's a much better way of assessing someone and their abilities and loads of employers today have their own tests and things anyway especially I mean some universities do obviously like Oxford and Cambridge GCAT, BMAT all of them exactly law tests STEM tests all of them yeah Um, and most of those tests for these specific places are designed to try and, and test how good you are at what the company or school wants you to do so they're much more efficient at doing that and assessing the student they're much better much it's more to the organization. yeah rather than sort of a blanket everyone does the same test kind of thing same environment and whatnot and yeah well that that's my two pence on that i if you want to turn back to more political matters i would definitely change the voting system what, in the uk yeah what would that will be the voting system then well i'd use the one they currently use in northern ireland and for the republic of ireland as well which is single transferable vote just because if you have a bigger constituency with four or five mps in it it's much more representative because a party isn't going to put up five candidates yeah. in a five candidate constituency because then the vote will be split so they only put two or three to try and make sure they get two or three elected and that means that smaller parties will only put one candidate up to make sure they try and concentrate their votes and that way you get a much better representation where a traditionally conservative area will have all conservative MPs it might then have three or four conservative MPs but a couple of Lib Dem or Labour ones as well maybe even Green and it's much fairer and it means we don't see what we see now which is the two larger parties getting way more percentage seats than they get percentage votes no exactly because it also enables more fringe views to actually exist and be able to be represented because i think it was that weird statistic of like i think it was the 2016 election and you had ukip getting some sort of 
the 2015 one yeah, the 2015 yeah so a massive proportion of the votes are literally like one seat yeah something yeah it was like one that. seat but as much as I would disagree with UKIP's policies and their manifesto I still don't think it's right to not give them representation I think they got something like 15% of the vote something, so, something really, really big like that yeah. sort of more than the Lib Dems I think at the time and I just think that's wrong either way, even though I disagree with them. I think that's just bad as a democracy to mean that we just... No, no representation. Because Germany have a really good law, which is you have to get more than 5% of the vote overall to even get any seats in Parliament. So they have yeah. a proportional system as well. Not single transferable vote, but it's a bit different. Um, and the fringe parties don't get in because they don't get more than 5% of the vote yeah but it's even weird because like UKIP in that system it's set as the Germanic system it still wouldn't even be classed as fringe because it got three times no, as it much would as still it, get, yeah. it would still get a lot of votes yeah, yeah. but again who are we to repe- repress views we don't agree with exactly that's, that's, we that's can't do that no it's like as, as much as yeah I wouldn't have liked it it's still what should have happened no, exactly, you still got to let any view that is supported by people exist, and you could say, "Oh yeah, the population don't know what they're voting for," but then that goes into a whole other argument, which is not really that sensible to kind of have, just basically questioning the intellect of voters. Like, yeah, as much as I, again, I don't want to spread misinformation here about whether he actually said it, but apparently there is a Churchill quote where it says, "The best argument against democracy is a five-minute conversation with the average voter." <laughs> which is quite funny but again can't verify that and yeah I think I would also I would also make us a federal country whereby England Scotland Wales and Northern Ireland all have sort of the same legislative power um, and there is then a UK national government as well sort of a federalised system then yeah yeah definitely nice that would work yeah and that's, it's so different because like at this point in time modern politics a lot of it a lot of these ideas we're saying now it's not perceived as possible or they think it's beyond what's able to be achieved yeah like, a few, it was like what's it called Nelson what's it called Martin Luther King he uh he said his dream was basically to have a white and a black man drink from the same water fountain and it just be not even a problem and in his day that was mad stuff that wasn't like seen as possible yeah and today that's nothing like that is literally what he wanted to achieve has been achieved mm-hmm. yeah absolutely it's just yeah it's weird to think that some things that are so socially acceptable now were just not even considered allowed at all you know, yeah. even like 50 years ago things like divorce were only made legal about 50 years ago before then it was you've got to stay mm-hmm. Honestly, yeah, yeah really weird that's mad but yeah so like yeah, moving on to more like global politics sort of stuff. What's your take on the situation in Afghanistan? Well, I'm of the opinion that yes, we shouldn't have gone in the first place um, to invade for whatever reason. Even though I know at the time that's easy to say retrospectively. That power of hindsight, isn't it? Uh, yes, but I still think we shouldn't have gone in in the first place. I think what we should have done, or at least what the United States should have done, is not funded the Mujahideen 
Islamic extremist group to fight against the Soviet Afghan forces when Afghanistan was communist. Because you can see pictures from well, communist, 70s, yeah, communist mm-hmm. Afghanistan in the seventies where women are just wearing normal clothes and re- religion was taken out of politics and they lived much more liberal lives then. But of course, because they were communist, America had to make sure that they weren't and funded the only group that was possibly able to overthrow them which was the islamic rural um people who were forming the mujahideen at the time and funding them which then splintered off into the taliban in a civil war yeah within the mujahideen so the taliban we have now is well not directly but indirectly funded by the u.s in the so they're fighting to fight themselves basically yeah it's a it's weird to think about if you take it back further yeah so that is the really interesting thing about global politics is this one move oh because at the time they were like communism bad afghan we need policy of containment here's money funding group that's opposing communism and then you think about the long-term impact that's now had a situation where the country has had a lot of its like liberal rights taken away so from a western perspective it has less rights and then this uh this other ideology has been pushed in and fostered from a hatred of because the whole Taliban organization was created on a you know against NATO we exist to push yeah. back this I think, force I think that's partly why the Taliban took back Afghanistan so quickly was because they got the, they got the support of so many people because they remodeled themselves as more anti-NATO than pro-Islam uh pro-islam rule and um i think that's why because you know you don't as a guerrilla fighting group you don't take back cities with no support and no no equipment you you, like you have to have some support within the local or more than some support within the local population for that to happen you know that doesn't just happen no exactly like so it was the change in mindset of the afghan people in opposition rather than in support of the Taliban, which caused the Taliban to come to power. Yeah, and I think because the democratic government that was then imposed in Afghanistan was notoriously corrupt, people thought that it was just more of an abuse of power than an abuse of religion that the Taliban might have used to have an incredibly authoritarian rule. Yeah, definitely, man. Perhaps for them that was a deal-breaker, whereas because most of the population is Islamic in Afghanistan it wasn't a deal breaker to support the Taliban over a really corrupt government it's like a group here saying we'll we'll implement the if if you're Christian we'll, we'll implement the Ten Commandments in the country you know I mean obviously it's not the same no but you're not going to be in total opposition to that if you're a Christian you'll be like right that kind of aligns with my ideological beliefs however that's infringing on some of my other beliefs such as like yeah it's a it's it's such a complex situation that we can't possibly know for sure over here (laughs) yeah if you do want to do any further reading or further investigation into afghanistan isn't it rory stewart did that documentary didn't he yeah he did a really good one actually so check that out if you're more interested in afghan to be honest because that'll give you a really good insight because he travels across the country doesn't he i think so yeah yeah yeah. so again if you really want to have a look at that then that'll be that'll be calm on the topic of education just to kind of sidetrack here, like tuition fees, should they exist? Is it fair that we don't have we have them and Scotland don't? And what's your take on that? I think that as much as 
they are not that much money when you pay them back, i.e. it comes to something like £20 a month, and that you don't start paying them back until you earn over a certain amount. It's still not correct to have them. And I only say that because the debt that some people are in when they get out of uni, and I know that they don't have to pay them back, but it's such a it's such a psychological burden as well knowing that you are thirty thousand pounds in debt and from a from a purely ideological point that i don't always like to come from saying you have to pay to get better education at a higher level is just wrong from my point i i think as a as a government that wants its citizens to be as well educated and as prosperous as possible. Do they though? Well, that's the question. If I was there, that's I that's what I would want. Yeah, I would want say that we really should not have them just because it's disincentivizing people from going. If you're saying, look, our education is free, the government is paying this so that you can then go and have the best possible chance at life and be the most educated that you can possibly be that's saying you want the best for the people and that will be the best for the people and that's why I would that's why I would say that I know the efficiencies around it and the sort of rise in the quality of the education that we've seen in some of the universities who have excelled with the extra funding I just think that there are examples of people still not being able to go because of the tuition fees. So yeah, exactly because it's not that's not the only cost. No, of course. Not, Obviously, no. there are loads of other costs that are kind of hidden, like when you turn up on the door and they've imposed all of these fees upon you, or even the maintenance loan. If you're from a very poor background, the maintenance loan is the only money you're going to get. You're going to get no more. And for someone who, you know, let's say you, you've got all these grants for top unis, but even that might not be enough. And then what can you do then? Mm-hmm. It's just so much more complex than we can imagine if you really are struggling for money in a position where you literally are living off of the government loans um, for your accommodation, for your living, for your food, um, whatever. They might have different policies around that. They might be... That may change. It's, it's a lot of admins, banks... You know, you've got to set up separate bank accounts and things like that, and it's just so much more hassle to have to worry about than moving to university already. No, exactly. Like on top of that, like if you think about my, the average young person, they've probably been been to a different place for a holiday, and that's a max a week, two weeks, mm-hmm. and then you're expecting someone to take themselves out of their house. Pro- most of the time, go to the other side of the country for three years, and that's very stressful. To, yeah. to your average person Obviously, and then on top yeah. of that you put someone who's already at a financial disadvantage and you burden them even more yeah with more financial problems and stress them out more and of course because most people you know we're not taught financial literacy at school no, of course, about yeah. tax scores and credits no, yeah that. credit scores and taxes and things like that managing bank accounts budgeting credit whatnot. cards all that yeah um, the amount of money that you are then tasked with managing and having to have complete control over your lives. I just think, I know that the argument there is that we shouldn't be a nanny state, but why not? Why should we not make it as easy as possible for young people to go to university, to become as 
good as they possibly can, as I've already said. Yeah. It's that self-actualization, which is another liberal principle, just saying that, you know, this is what we want you to be. We want you to be the best you are. And therefore, we can do that by providing you the funds for extra education. And as the government approved during COVID, there is no scarcity of funds. This complete BS about there not being a magic money tree, or there tended to be one during the COVID crisis, that money tree, they pulled that out. They, they planted that money tree quite quickly, didn't they? Started harvesting yeah. that tree quite quickly as well. And uh, most of that money has been spent pretty uh, pretty poorly. And then then you go to the argument that if they can just find 50 million for a Serco contract for a track and trace, or 50 billion actually. 50 billion, yeah. Yeah, then why can't, why can't they find the extra money to uh, support some students through their education and then not depend on charitable donations for that it's like the whole thing with the nhs people raising money for the nhs it's a public yeah. service yeah it doesn't shouldn't have to have charitable donations for it no absolutely not and it's it, you know it's a trust technically as well they've got a whole a whole framework for donations and i just think oh it's it should just not have to be the burden of the individual to then have to fund extra above your taxes on a state apparatus yeah and obviously we've just had recently the rise in national insurance to cover social care changes now national insurance only hits those who are working obviously and social care is for those who can't work as well so it's and obviously part of social care is elderly care and they're not going to be working most elderly people do in most cases have somewhat of a wealth that they've built over their lifetime i know that there are those that haven't and who rely on their pensions and we'll get to that as well with the ditching of the triple lock as well but to place the burden on young and poor people right because national insurance is obviously a bigger hit when you don't have as much money it's a more yeah, of a shock definitely um it's just not right, obviously. And, and uh, yeah, there are other groups in society who could much more easily carry said financial burden. Exactly, like a wealth tax would be far better, or not even a wealth tax, but a tax reform whereby large transnational corporations like Amazon are no longer able to use the loophole where they can create a fake parent company, license the rights to make all the goods for the exact amount of profit that they make and say oh look we're not making any profit because we're buying the license to make all the amazon goods for 500 million pounds or whatever it is and then they don't have to pay any tax if you could close that tax loophole in itself you could provide so much more funds to every single sector of the public well every single industry in the public sector no, exactly. And then billionaires would argue, oh, well, we do lots of charitable giving. It's like, well, no, your charities are a tax loophole in themselves. Yeah. That's all it is. It's just another tax loophole. As good as philanthropy is, it isn't an excuse to not tax properly. Yeah, it's not a choice. Well, oh, well, I feel I can do better stuff with the money than the state, so I'm going to do it and spend it on my own philanthropic goals that are also going to enrich me further. Yeah. It's like, all right, cool. Doesn't really make sense, mate, but cool. Not at all, no. But yeah, man, just to kind of uh, to move on from that, like we've talked a lot about alternative systems and alternative 
ways of governance and ways of being but how can we achieve this how can we actually change change this on a global national and personal level well i've always thought the politics is the way to go that's why i'm so interested in it so invested in it and i know that politics affects everyone's lives whether you're interested in it or not and it just has such a profound impact on everyone that i would say yeah the only way to change the world on a macro level at least um for the most well the greatest amount of change for the greatest amount of people is politics but you can do all sorts of different changes yourself you know no exactly like on a personal level i think the thing one of my good friends said this to me the other day it was you, 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 the difficulty is you can focus too much on the end goal and not enough on how to get there because like if you think about it if you want to run 10k in a day you wouldn't just get up after doing no running and just beast it out the whole 10k you'd go no okay i'm going to build this into a habit so i'm going to run for one at one mile and then two and then build it up and then actually do it and it's that momentum which will drive the drive it over like with anything it starts off hard like, like imagine like a massive boulder the hardest push of that boulder is the first push and then as you push it more and more and more it begins to snowball and then it's easy but it takes that initial drive and that initial nope i'm not going to give up this has to be done and that's why it's so good to have such a strong why as well if you have a strong why then you can't really be stopped and like if that why is i see the inequality in the world and i realize that if i don't do it then who i think there's you said that to me wasn't it if you want to say that quite I can't remember where the quote was from, but it's probably not even from politics. But if not me, who? And if not now, when? Exactly. It's, and I think what drives me. If any of you want listening this, take that on board. Then you're gonna do wild and mad things. If not who? If not if not you, then who? So if you do not do it, it's not gonna be done. So think about the world. What the world is gonna be like if you don't do this thing? Yeah. That is what's going to happen. So you have to do it. And if not now, then when? You have to take the action right now, yeah? Because let's think about it, yeah? You're going to die. If you're our age, you're going to die in about 60, 70 years. And then the opportunity is gone. So you have to take the action now. If you want to make profound change, it's going to take around a lifetime. So you've got to get to work. Even if that now is reading a politics book or doing that first push-up or talking to that first person, it's the little step. The little step that leads you to the end goal. And just because someone else is doing 300 push-ups and can read a book in a day, it doesn't mean that your your attribute or your kind of movement towards your goal is negative or not as valid. It's about taking the action in your own life and going, yeah, this is moving towards where I want to be. And that's the best thing as well. It's not about achieving the goal. It's about setting such an absurdly large goal that you achieve so much that you never thought you'd be able to do. And honestly, like if you guys actually take what we've said on board and just believe in yourself, like look at that girl who did that tennis. 18. She's our age. Yeah? So what's your excuse? What's my excuse? What's your excuse, Lawrence? <laughs> we haven't got an excuse. No, not because sure. she's done it. She's gone, yeah, this is my goal. This is what I'm going to achieve. She had complete belief. And it'd be really interesting to speak to her, so we're going to try and get her on the podcast soon. <laughs> and honestly, like that sort of mindset is what you need to look at. Even just reading books about famous people who you admire, like biographies, you pick up golden nuggets from them books, 
and you can kind of interpret like yeah this is their mindset and the, the kind of overall pattern is belief that is the golden term if you genuinely and i mean not some like bullshit oh i kind of believe you fully believe then there's nothing you can't do and for us really like what i'd say as a closing statement is even if you do one little thing one push-up you smile at one person you don't know the impact you're having this little thing could change someone's life yeah you putting out some bit of content you smiling at someone you reading some book that you tell someone else about which then changes their life you don't know what it's going to do so you've just got to try you've got to strive towards your goal and do it and yeah Lawrence what are your final thoughts exactly the same as that I think yeah it's just there's so much that can be done with so little that you'll have no idea about what impact it has so you might as well if it's going to do more good than you know it will then that's perfect you exactly know. what have you got to lose like you're going to die you're going to fucking die <laughs> like I know that sounds brutal but like I think Ricky Gervais says that like the fact that you can't watch it again is why it's so brutal yeah because it's not I'm not talking about going out and causing a world revolution I mean that could be your goal and for some of us that is but it could be just literally volunteering at a homeless shelter and you said that thing about the uh, the man outside the subway. Yeah, my anecdote for that sort of thing is that I was just getting a meal at Subway and the woman before me had bought an extra Subway for a homeless man who was sitting outside. And while I was waiting, I watched her give it to him and he completely broke down in tears, just thanking her and everything. And it just moved me. Yeah, I hadn't, I hadn't seen anything like what that man displayed when she gave him that subway as, as trivial as that sounds but he I could just see he was in complete happiness at that moment and gratefulness and joy and all those kind of things for such a small yeah. to us a small gesture for a subway yeah and that's all it takes that one small act of kindness can change someone's life honestly just know that your impact on this earth good or bad is significant and you're not insignificant and this is the thing as well if enough people choose love over any other sort of emotion or hate choose choose love over hate then we're going to build a better world and we're going to we're going to move mountains to achieve what we need to achieve so I'm going to leave you with this again if not you who and if not now then when thank you so much Lawrence for being here and I'll see you guys in the next one thank you cheers